Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. Well, here's a statistic that affects all of us living in Idaho. Idaho comes in last place for the number of doctors per capita, and almost all of our state is a federally designated health shortage area. Yet when medical professionals from other countries move here, the process to get back to practicing medicine is complex and expensive. So today on Mosaics, we're honored to be joined by local doctors who are addressing this issue. Uh, Please join me in welcoming Dr. Scott Smith and Paula Carvalho, Boise doctors who have partnered with Global Talent to mentor refugee medical professionals through this process. And we're also joined today by Samson Nde, who served as a physician and general surgeon in Nigeria for four years before moving to the States in 2015. And with the help of Global Talent, Samson's been able to get a job at the Idaho Health Neighborhood Center in Nampa as the lead physician extender. And this winter, he'll be applying for medical residency. So thank you to the three of you for being here. I really appreciate it. So Samson, I'd love to start with you today. Can you tell us, when you arrived in the States, you have this medical career behind you and you're in the middle of it. What was it like to try to get or how's it been like for you to try to get back to the work that you love doing? Yeah, thank you for that question. First of all, when I came into the U.S., I had no idea of what hurdles I would have to overcome to, first of all, know what to do for the exams, then writing the exams, and then knowing what to apply for or, on, or how to apply for residency. In my mind, I estimated that I'll be able to be done with all the process in six months. I was ignorant. So I came in here and completed a master's degree in public health. While doing that, I tried to study for all the exams. Then I learned that it wasn't that easy. It wasn't something you could just combine with another program and hope to pass the test. So I quickly learned that I had to finish my master's program and then begin to focus on the USMLE. So that's the exams, the licensing exams to be a physician in the U.S., That process is a little bit difficult because of different kinds of hurdles. One is that it's a full-time job to study for these exams. Mm. And if you're an immigrant, you still have to pay your bills and do so many other things. And that lengthens the process of from the time you study to the time you can apply for residence. For me, I've been studying studying intensely since 2018, Mm. you know, to get these exams done and they are basically two main exams that you can you you should write before you can apply for residency but for IMGs it's preferable you write the three exams step one step two and step three to increase your chances. You just said IMG can you tell us what that is? Yes IMG means international medical graduates mainly medical doctors or graduates from medical schools from outside the U.S. that coming to the U.S. to become physicians here. So that process, some for some people, it takes 11 years. I've heard of 20 years. The quickest I've heard, it's maybe about three years. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of focus, a lot of commitment. But when you get to the other side of it, it's full of joy, you know. You mm-hmm. feel you have reinvented yourself. It's very, very fulfilling and you begin to become useful again in that capacity to the, your new environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all the hard work that you've been doing and you're getting really close. Yeah, thank you. 
So Paula, I'd love to hear from you about what inspired you to get involved in this capacity with partnering with Global Talent, mentoring other medical professionals going through this process. I am very new to this process because I've known Scott for many years. Dr. Scott Smith and I go all the way back to residency together. And he's been doing this now for a long period of time and has this entire process down. He contacted me not too long ago and said, you know, we would like to have our physician group come in to the simulation lab and do some simulation practice. Okay. So that's where I came in, and we I'm the director of the simulation lab at the Boise VA that has all of these robots, task trainers, bits and pieces where we can learn to do procedures. So that's how I got involved. It was actually really, really rewarding. We loved having you guys over there. Thank Samson you. was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, they loved being there. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Smith, you're one of the first people I met when I started this job. I remember you were in the Global Talent Office, and I learned about this cohort of doctors being mentored through this process, and I always thought, what a great project. So how did you get started with that? You know, I was working with Global Talent in some of, I forget what you guys call them, but the, the practice sessions for all not just physicians, but any professionals that they're working with, where you do mock interviews and all of that. So I had done a few of those, and I, I liked that. And then I went to some function where I met the Swedan brothers. One of them is a trauma surgeon and the other a cardiologist from Iraq. And they had had to leave emergently after the U.S. had pulled out of Iraq. They, their father had been a general, and they were basically threatened to be killed because of that. So they had, similar to what Samson is talking about, they showed up and thought, you know, this shouldn't take too long and we'll be able to practice again. And didn't really know how, what tests they had to take, how they had to go about this and stuff. And I met them at this conference and heard their plight. And that basically the two things that were a real struggle were, number one, getting through these national board tests. And number two, getting into residency because it's a very competitive process. And I said, well, I was in residency leadership for 23 years, and I wrote national board questions for eight years, so I bet I can be helpful. Mm. And one thing led to another, and our little group started, and it's been going ever since. That was 2019 that, that I went into retirement and started this. So I understand that since then you've been able to help over three dozen medical professionals, new American medical professionals, and of those, five are now practicing medicine again, including four here in Idaho, helping to... It's actually six and five Is it now. six yeah. and five? And Congratulations. One, yeah. Wow. So that's huge, especially in a state like ours that really needs more medical professionals. What were some of the, um, beyond the time that it takes, the barriers that you had to overcome? Maybe Samson will come back to you. I'm thinking of the money and the language barriers. Did you, how did you address that? Or there are different kinds of barriers at different stages of preparation. The first one, as Scott said, is to know what exams to write. Because I know of one of my friends, he has been here for like three years trying to write the exam because he, could, he, he didn't know what exams to write, where to apply and get registered for the exam. So that's the first barrier. The second one is actually passing the test because they are not very easy tests to pass. 
because you have, apart from the medical content, you also have this language barrier that you have to overcome to be able to do well in these tests because all those questions are not in French or in German or in an African Swahili. It's in English. So you have to have some good grasp of the language to be able to pass the test. Because as Scott also said, it's competitive at the point of application. So you want to have a score that is good enough. So that's the second barrier. The third barrier is that if you, even when you've passed all these tests, applying for residency, the people that, that train in the U.S. here, while they are going to the residency, I mean, they are um, medical school, they really know where to apply and the program directors know them. So it's easier. Whereas an, when IMGs pass the tests, sometimes they have to apply cold into this residence, mm -hmm. residency. So it's easy from, let's say, the program director's perspective to pick up someone you've known and trained and someone that you don't know. So that's the next, then another barrier that uh, IMGs face. Another one they face is there is this time limit from the time you write the exams to the time you should complete all the exams. And if you've written one and it has lasted more than seven years before you completed the two or three, four applying, it expires. So you have to start afresh. Okay. I know some people that theirs, theirs had expired, so they have to start afresh. You know, and also the focus, uh, there's a amount of focus you need to have to be able to go through that process because that's not all you're doing in the U.S. You're taking care of family, your family, trying to get a job. Sometimes you need to get some research paperwork done so that you would have a higher chance of applying. You know, and also there are other jobs calling you saying, man, why do you have to be a doctor? Perhaps you could do some other thing and still have mm -hmm. your life together. So these are the barriers that many IMGs face. And up to or more than 50% of IM medical graduates, doctors, some of them were cardiothoracic surgeons and very brilliant people, do not practice and don't even dream of practicing medicine. They are doing things like DoorDash. Um, the closest are the ones that work in the hospital in other capacities like in the health insurance space. Some of them even find it easier to go through nursing school or being a PA than going through the physician route. So you have these potentials doing other things apart from medicine. And that's why any process that can help tap into this resource would be very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone living here, not for their own enrichment and their yeah. lives and for everyone else yeah. living here. Could you speak, Samson, really quickly to some of, now that you're working back in the healthcare setting, mm. have you noticed things stuck out to you that are different from, you know, you're practicing in Nigeria, now you're practicing in the States. What are, can you just share some of those things that stuck out to you as being different? Yes. And... Thank you for that question. I actually love this question. <laughs> now, when a, practicing from Nigeria, the emphasis on patient autonomy is not that high, whereas in the U.S. it's very important that you partner with the patient to find the best treatment for the patient. You know, so that's another challenge IMGs have. When we are writing these exams, sometimes it's difficult to switch from the ideas we had in our home country while practicing to how it's done in the U.S., well, there's a joke we usually say that if you read an ethics question and a particular answer seems right to you, rather choose the opposite because that's what should be right in the yeah. U.S. Because <laughs> it's a different culture, a different yeah. context. So that's one thing I've, I've noticed. Here. Another thing is in the U.S. system, there is primary care, there is urgent care, there is emergency and maybe there are bigger facilities like the VA and so on. 
Whereas in some other countries, people do not go to the clinic or the hospital until they are very, very sick. So we usually see very terminal conditions. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, someone has a flu, they go to the clinic, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's different. So those are some of the few differences I have noticed. Another thing that I've seen in the American system, I believe is based on this American philosopher, um, William James, pragmatism. In the American system of medical practice, if something is not necessary, they don't do it. Whereas some of our cultures, how we're trained to do everything, whether it's necessary or not, just do it, looking for, you know, just in case you find something. But here it's very pragmatic. If something is not necessary, there's no need running that test and doing that for that patient. So those are a few differences. And I actually really like the American system of practicing because it's straight to the point and it's simpler that way. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Paula, I'd love to hear from you. You've been in the medical field or how many years have you worked in the medical field in Idaho or in general? Yeah, I graduated from medical school in 1984. And I've been in Idaho since 1989. Wow. I did a year here for medical residency, which is what made me come back to Idaho. I had wanted to do a pulmonary rotation in my fourth year at the University of Washington. And everything was full in Seattle. <laughs> I tried trades, I tried bribes, I tried everything I could think of, but they said, you know, there's a really good hospital, in, which is the, the, the major teaching hospital for the state of Idaho in Boise, the Boise VA. So I came kicking and screaming over here because um, <laughs> I wanted to stay in Seattle, landed at the airport in beautiful blue sky. Yeah. I left Seattle with horizontal rain pounding on the window, I got here, beautiful blue sky, Went to the hospital and met my future husband, who was actually my attending at that point. Oh, wow. So that, that's how this turned out. Then I came back on faculty and I stayed here ever since. Would not have traded it whatsoever. Well, Paul, I'd love to hear from you now that you've started working with this cohort. What are the benefits you see to the medical system to have you know, medical professionals from other countries practice here? Oh, I think it's imperative I think there's a lot of talent. Every single person who has come to the sim lab, they were <clears throat> professional. They obviously knew what they were doing. Samson was really smart because we were doing some procedures with IVs and with, with putting nasogastric tubes in, putting Foley catheters in, and he was videotaping the procedure when he did it so that he could use that as some certification that you would need. Uh, yeah. Because we, this is what we do now with medical education, is we can't hurt the patients if they're plastic or if they're robotic. And some of these simulators are really interesting because they're physiologically programmed. And so you can ask the trainee, what would you like to do next? And they'll come up with something. And you know, it's probably not the right thing to do. <laughs> but you say, go ahead. They can try it. And then we can override the physiology on, on the, the robot if, if we need to. That's the thing we would like to do next with this group. Bring it back to the simulation lab and do some team training, do some emergency work, do another different set of procedures. And so Scott and I are going to be setting up some curriculum for them. I think they enjoyed the first one, which yeah. was um, in addition to the IVs, nasogastric tubes, and Foley catheters, we also did some work on the defibrillator. Oh, yeah. And so defibrillating pacing, how you would set the machine. 
So we'd like to take those skills and move them up to the next level. Wow. So you're saying you can override the physiology of it. Does that mean that <laughs> robot, you can make it feel Bye. pain? <laughs> you, you didn't put the catheter yeah, in right. This robot is reacting. Like, we don't like anybody to feel that they've killed anything. <laughs> so we say, well, those vitals aren't going exactly in the direction we wanted. So what would you do now? And then we salvage. Otherwise, the thing shuts down. If you inject something too fast or the wrong agent, mm-hmm. flatline, and it's very demoralizing. So we never killed the simulator. <laughs> <laughs> this was an interesting set of facts about how this came about because, as, as Samson has described, studying for this is just a monstrous task for these poor folks. And here I've been working with them for several years, working at these tests, taking these tests, moving along slowly. And I thought, these people were all physicians. And then I have another cohort now, especially from the Ukraine, who were in war and in COVID during their whole medical school. Uh-huh. And so they have very seldom touched a patient, you know, and they just needed some basics. Or I've got people that were surgeons in Iraq 25 years ago and haven't done this, started an IV for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, so I decided we need to give them a break from studying and do this and feel like doctors again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I thought, well, Paula knows this stuff. She's the head of that lab. And we had to jump through a few VA hoops to get the permissions and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, oh, my God, I think from both sides, it was such a success. Thank you very much. Yeah. We were delighted. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and you could see everybody was like really excited about getting something that they could do with their hands rather than just something what they're reading in a book yeah. over and over again to study. Yeah. So it's good to intersperse these things. Yeah. Yeah. And for Samson, I know you have a, at least one young kid at home. Yeah. Maybe two. I don't. I, one. For one. Now. So you're now. <laughs> raising your family and going through this. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned getting to have that feeling again of, being useful. Doing yes. what, and can you talk about that? Like what practicing medicine provides for you? Yeah. You know, medicine essentially for me, it's a calling. And, um, right from when I was a little kid, I always wanted to take care of people and help people. So I went into medicine and my uncle who is also a physician in Nigeria. My father's brother, he said something once to me that if this is not really what you want to do, it's difficult to go through it. But if it's what you want to do, the nature of the work itself is an incentive to continue because you can see in real time that you are helping other people. When I arrived in the U.S. and I wasn't able to do that, it was difficult for me because for all my life, that's all I wanted to do. It so, was so hard. And I had to like, who am I really? You know, it was difficult. I had to redefine myself to become a human being that practices medicine, not just a doctor, (laughs) you know. But it added value to who I've become. And finding myself right now in the clinic, Idaho Health Neighborhood Center, where I get to see patients, though I don't have the license to practice, it has really refreshed me and made me very hopeful to practice medicine because there's something about seeing the smile in the face of a patient, you know, knowing that you have made someone's life better. And I think it's something close to that that we experienced when we went to the simulation lab. We're like, man, 
this thing can be real again. It gave us that hope. You know, people went back home. I asked a few IMGs. They went back home with a greater enthusiasm to study because once again, that dream can come alive. That just fuels us up and makes us, you know, very happy to practice medicine where we know that we are making someone else's life better. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's really powerful that you had to learn to be a human being practicing medicine. So many of us do that, right? We associate, I used to be a journalist and it was really hard to be like, I'm not a journalist anymore. You know, you associate with what you're doing, but then to, for you to see that hope to get back to what you want to be doing, even though it's hard, is really cool. It makes me really happy that, that Scott, that you had that light bulb go off when you met those doctors at the career summit. Yeah, it's been a very rewarding thing. One of the things that I think is important to talk about, too, is we'll find problems that people are running into, and we'll find some, and usually it's the GT docs themselves that are finding these creative solutions. So Samson mentioned that English language is sometimes a difficult thing for some of them. Samson obviously speaks English fluently, but... Especially this technical English. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the people in our group said, you know what we should do is to have a mini lecture before we do our meetings every month. And it should be given by someone who needs to practice their English, and especially their medical English. And the very first one of those was given by a Ukrainian gal who did not speak English when she hit the door. She was getting better, and she gave the most erudite talk on heart failure in really good English and got, like, total feedback from the group, like, holy cow, have you been studying this? Uh, Not only the topic did you cover it well, but your English was flawless. This was great. She was just beaming, you know. So, so, and then another one that came up was, you know, Samson's talked about this test is six to eight hours long, each one of these, and they're very difficult. And you come in and you have studied, you're doing pretty well on these practice tests and stuff, but then you realize the stakes there are high when I take this test and everybody has a little bit of choking or freaking out. And then because it's six or eight hours long, they also lose their focus, you know, partway into it. So one of the candidates came and said, is there something I can take for nerves before the day I t- do this test? And I'm like, well, there are many medicines that help nerves. Unfortunately, most of them also dull your brain a little, which on this test, you don't want a dull brain, right? Have you ever tried meditation? Well, it turned out no one had tried meditation. So I- I've done that for years. And so we started having a, just a few minute very simple. We're not trying to be religious here. We're trying to figure out how to control our emotions. And Samson can speak to that because yeah. it, it was one of the things that we started doing just as part of our classes and I think has been helpful for many. Yeah. Just to speak on that, I do not know if I would have done as well as I did in the last test, which was a nine-hour test without meditation. And that was... Um, thanks to doctors, I mean, for to Scott for introducing that to me because the meditation thing I was I knew it was there were some you know medical reports that it helped you know I never I never really practiced it and he told me that he told he shared how effective it was 
So I, I started practicing, and then the more I practiced, I got better. On the day of the test, I had, before the day of the test, I got good at it. So that came in very, very handy. Before the test, I did my meditation, and it just calmed me down. My mind was clear and sharp. Close to maybe the end of this, around about eight to seven to eight hours in, my brain was, I was fried. I was totally fried. Mm. So I had two options. Either I go out for a break and come in, or I sit down and do med- and meditate. I chose to meditate. So I sat down, did my meditation. I was wide awake again and ready for the last hour of the test. That was really, really helpful. So thank you very much for that. And that's also helped a lot of IMGs, you know, because that anxiety thing is big because you fail, it goes on your record that you failed and that reduces your chances of matching into residency. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to fail that test at any, you know, you want to pass. Yeah. Oh, wow, what pressure. And how cool to have a community around you mm-hmm. as you face that mountain and to give ideas like that. So that's very interesting. How often do you all meet as a cohort? Typically about once a month. Okay. So my church has volunteered space for us. It's usually a one to two hour meeting for the group. And it changes. I mean, we basically change the nature of that meeting based on what they need at that time. So they're the ones deciding, let's do more of this and less of that, you know. And when you all meet, how many different countries are represented in that meeting? Oh, wow. Uh, Well, as many as there are people almost always. Wow. Yeah. So typically there's about seven people in the USMLA1 group, which is taking the first part of the test. And then there's two or three in the that have passed that and are ready for the second set. And that's the second one that Samson just recently passed. So he's kind of a pro at this now. Oh, thank you. Paula, what do you see next for your role? Are you going to continue offering labs or do we have other solutions in mind of how to move Idaho forward on this issue? Yeah, so I think the quality of the group that Scott's got right now is they're very, very motivated, very professional, obviously very well trained in their own countries. And so it's a valuable group that we want to bring them along and we want to make them successful and we want them to make have the ability to be able to join our medical workforce, which we really need. Mm-hmm. So what I would like to do is I'd, I'd like to start interspersing, like Scott meets for a couple hours with them uh, once a month. The simulation was, I think, what do we do, four to five hours? Everybody yeah. was there for like a, a good chunk of a half day. And we went a little bit longer than we even thought we would because everybody was enjoying it, and so were we. So the next thing to do is to develop that curriculum more with other types of simulations, with other kinds of things that are going to be necessary for them to get very, very good at. We all have learned this, but if we don't practice it, we all get rusty. Yeah. So we find that even with us, we bring, even me, I go down to the simulation lab and I practice. So this is something that that we all have to keep doing. Mm. So we'll be developing this curriculum. We'll be rolling it out. We'll be getting these folks in. Uh, and again, we have 100% professionalism, motivation, and a very, very uh, high degree of intelligence in these folks. Yeah, high degree of need in Idaho. So that's yeah. good to get those things put together to meet that need. 
Scott, last year Idaho passed a bill or a law that helped with this. Can you briefly explain what that was? Yeah, it was kind of, so one of the things I had decided was it's really rewarding to do these one-offs, helping out one person at a time get through. As you can see with working with Samson now the last several years, it's just really cool to see him pass a test and be ready to apply. But doing it one at a time is just not a real efficient way of solving this problem. So paired with that, I've started to decide that I need to work on the barriers that are legal barriers. So last year, I paired up with my state senator, Melissa Wintrow, who is very interested in a lot of these kinds of issues. And she coached me as I helped get this thing through the legislature. And what it basically did was created a mechanism for temporary licensure for IMGs while they're going through residency. So this was to give them a license that's temporary and restricted, meaning that they're in a program where they're being supervised in residency and graduated supervision. So the better they get, the less supervision they need. And they would have a temporary license while they're in that program. Just like what we did was extend a law that already existed for graduates of U.S. medical schools or DO schools. And they all have to get this temporary license to join residencies. And there was no similar mechanism. So we did that. And then this year, we're going to try and create a more intricate law that allows them to get credit for all that they've already done in the sense of being eligible for a program where they could just be an apprentice. And after three years of apprenticeship, they would be eligible for an unrestricted license. So it's a similar kind of restricted, limited license. And one of the requirements probably will be that for the three years after this program that they have to serve an underserved area of Idaho, which will be real easy since, as you said, most of Idaho is underserved for most professions, uh, professions within the medical profession. So, Wow. So at this point, if someone's looking at, uh, like, Samson, your journey, I'm curious what cost people are looking at to take all these tests and to get there. So the average is about, as Samson was saying, it's about seven years and it's about twenty-five dollars or $30,000. So here they've got these entry-level jobs, they're trying to raise a family, and they still have to drop twenty-five dollars or $30,000 into this additional stuff. That includes if you're applying for residency, you have to apply for a lot of them. And if you're lucky enough to get interviews, you have to fly to those places and interview. So there's quite a few costs that are involved in this. And if we can skip the entire residency mechanism because they've already done it once and make sure that we get quality control by this apprenticeship process and passing the tests, I think it's a win-win-win. It's a win for the candidates. It's a win for the programs. It's a win for the state of Idaho. So we're hoping to sell that. We'll see. Well, thank you all for sharing about this issue with us. I just want to give everyone a chance to have one last say, anything you'd want to leave with listeners or maybe with graduates from other countries who are about to start this journey. Um, Paula, let's start with you. The degree of work that these folks have to do is astronomical. Um, when Scott was saying about the, the Ukrainian physician who, who um, was a recent arrival and didn't speak English effectively and yet was able to give this brilliant, fluent, congestive heart failure talk, you know, that actually kind of struck a chord with me because I'm Portuguese. And a few years ago, 
I went to lecture at the University of Oporto on septic shock. And I thought I'd be doing it, and I speak Portuguese, conversational Portuguese, but I thought I'd be doing it in English. And they said, no, no, there's the audience, there's very few English speakers in this particular audience. So I had to switch to Portuguese, which, and make slides in Portuguese. And conversational Portuguese and technical Portuguese is very, very different. Yeah. So the fact that she was able to do this just shows, you know, the caliber of this person. Mm. That's pretty huge. <laughs> yes. Now, thanks for sharing that. What about you, Samson? Yeah, thank you. What I would say is, first of all, to the international medical graduates out there, I want to encourage them that it can be done. It can be done. And many people have done it, and you can do it too. And then to the state of Idaho, whosoever has the ability to make changes, I want them to know that we will be very happy to serve the state. Be it rural area or urban area, these IMGs are hungry. They really want to help. They have the skills of what it takes. And for the residency programs, I'd just like to say they should give us a chance and see what we bring to the table because we come with a lot of diversity and experience too. So I believe, as Scott said, it's going to be a win-win-win for everyone involved. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I would echo one thing that Samson mentioned, and that is talking to the other candidates that are out there, just arrived, whatever. This can be done, and it's very hard to do on your own. So almost every state has something like GT that we're doing. And try and find the link to the people in your state that are doing this. And if you need to, email us. We'll be happy to connect you. And then it is such a, Paula has hit this a couple times, but it's such a rewarding group to work with. They are very bright, very committed, amazing learners, and just really fun. So every once in a while, we do something that's more social, and we'll have a potluck. And of course, everyone wants to bring the featured dish from their culture. <laughs> And it is an amazing potluck. And so that's my reward. I don't get paid for this, but boy, do I get some great food once in a while. How do I secure an invite to that? <laughs> that's great. If people want to get involved, Scott, are you the best person to go through or is it global talent in general? I think either place, either start with global talent or myself. So what we usually do is between Heather Webster and I, who's she's running this part of it, the doctor part, and I think she's got the pilots and some others too. Uh, <laughs> we sit down and just do an interview that's just kind of an initial interview. And that interview for me is like, okay, what is it you really are wanting to try and do? And I'll tell you if that's realistic and if it can be done in Idaho. Because we only have a limited number of types of residencies. And the other thing I tell them is, you may have been a surgeon in Iraq, and you might have been okay with that, but you'd rather have been a rheumatologist or a pediatrician or something. This is your chance to change your whole focus. Since you have to do it all over again anyway, you might as well, now that you've been in the game and you understand better what you want to do, if you want to change, we'll work with you and help you with that. So that's what I would tell people is, Come to that kind of a meeting with a good idea of where you'd like to go. We will tell you what your commitment is going to be. And there's lots of other options, as Samson said. I mean, we have many people that started and have gone into 
PA school, nurse practitioner school, occupational medicine, all kinds of good health careers where their experience has helped them. But, you know, it wasn't the commitment that this takes. This takes a long time and a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and, and what a, a resource to have an expert community to come around you during that time. So thank yeah. you for what you do. Thank you, Samson, too. Thank, thank you, you, Paula, for everything you do to address this and really make a difference in the lives, not only of these doctors and medical professionals, but of all the patients that they're going to now um, impact in Idaho and beyond. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. the offer. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics. Production in partnership with SB Studios.